Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus, right at the front there, close, right, a couple books back, chapter 20, verse 4 through 6. We're going to look at the second commandment. We'll read verses 4 through 6. Ten commandments. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above, on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the father's sin to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, the title of this message is Revival is Messy. About, about three weeks ago, one of my uh, ladies that uh, has prayed for me for close to 30 years as an intercessor while I've been in ministry, she texted me and said, uh, the Lord just spoke to her, and, and he said, revival is messy. We're asking for revival, aren't we? But we want to share something today I think is so important as the Lord begins to pour out his spirit upon his church. You know, in Washington, D.C., it's a city that's filled with monuments to dead people, to Abraham Lincoln, to Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. Then we have the Vietnam Memorial, and we have the Korean War Memorial, World War I Memorial, and so forth. And how in the world do you capture in a limited amount of space all of what it meant in that particular war and the people that gave their lives for it? How do you capture the essence of what it meant to those who fought in it? Imagine to capture that much human experience using wood and stone and metal and capturing a worldwide event, only having maybe like a quarter of an acre to be able to express that in. Okay? Think about it. It's hard to do, isn't it? Now imagine something different. Imagine trying to capture the totality of all of who God is using wood or metal or stone. Things that he has created. And then trying to confine him to an image of something that is a part of this universe. Imagine trying to put God Almighty in a box. You can't do it, can you? He's bigger than any box that you think about. We think about it here. It says in these scriptures, Thou shalt not make for yourself a graven image or an idol there. You know, obviously you think of this and you're going, Jim, what does this mean for us? Now, if we were talking about people in India, or people in Africa, or maybe in other uh, continents or other countries around the world there, we could understand this. But uh, here in America, are you really serious about this, that we could have idols and graven images towards the God, to, towards God Almighty? Yes, we can. You think about it in terms of that, well, why don't you talk about something about some of the other commandments, about not lying or committing adultery, or not wanting what my neighbor has, that'd be a lot better to fully grasp and so forth. But this one, I think I've got it under control. Well, let me tell you, I want you to repeat this after me after I've repeated it. My obedience to God is determined by my image of God. Let's say it together. My obedience to God is determined by my image of God. 
And here's what I want you to do and listen to the Spirit of the Lord and let the Holy Spirit challenge your view of, of God this morning. And I want you to ask yourself, is the God that I worship the God that's presented in the Bible? Or how have I reshaped God into an image that's a little bit more palatable, a little bit more comfortable for me? Let's see what happens. When we think about this particular scripture, the first point I want to make is, is idols will never measure up to God's glory. We know that. So what is an idol? It is a man-made physical or mental representation of a spiritual being, God, which is meant to help the worshiper focus on that spiritual being, God. In other words, by giving you something to look at with your eyes or with your mind, an idol is meant to help you worship God. The idol was not intended to be a God. It was intended to focus attention on God. And that's what makes this command different from the first commandment, which says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. This, God, this particular command is not prohibiting the worship of more than one God necessarily. The first commandment took care of that. And certainly what it's saying is it's prohibiting creating your own image of the true God. If it is true that though an idol of God was intended to help in the worship of a true God, then why is God opposed to idols? In Isaiah chapter 40, the Bible says, To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? If you wanted to make an image of God, physical or mental, what image could you come up with that would do justice to God's majesty, his glory, and his holiness? What would be an accurate representation of God? In verse 4 there, God lists obviously three things. He talks about the heavens above, the waters there, and he also talks about the world around us and all. You know, I fished when I was younger. I haven't fished in quite some, some years and so forth. But I would throw my line into the water, and that fish would hook onto that line. And obviously, he became my next meal. Now, obviously, could you create... God in the image of a fish? No. He doesn't have the real intelligence. He, he snapped into that hook and all. And so you think, no, he, he's, that's not God at all. Some type of image, okay? Something God has created. You think about it also in the planets in the heavens where we know God put them all into place and they're circling around the solar system exactly the way God has planned and so forth. Could you somehow say, well, that, uh, we can focus on that. And uh, we can get a correct image of God in that. No, because there's no intelligence there. They are doing that. That momentum is carrying those planets and so forth into outer space there. But that's not an adequate picture of God. God has shown himself to be a very intelligent God. And we also think of the physical world, the animals around us and so forth. Could we think of any animal that we could use to be and give the image of God Almighty? No. Absolutely not. But if you turn over and turn back to Exodus chapter 32. Actually, uh, turn forward to Exodus chapter 32. Y'all know the story. We'll read a few verses here. And it'll bring back to mind what this is about. When the people saw that Moses... First verse, delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. 
And then Aaron replied to him, them, take off your gold rings that are on your ears and, and uh, of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the gold rings that were on their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from their hands, fashioned it with an engraving tool, and made it into an image of a calf. And then they said, Israel, this is your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and then he made an announcement saying, There will be a festival to the Lord tomorrow. Early the next morning they arose, offered burnt offerings, presented fellowship offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and then got up to play. They made an image there. They made an idol there and made it out of a calf. And so you think about here, Aaron knew and he was in trouble because the people were complaining. This man who called, his name is Moses, who brought us out of the land of captivity and so forth. We've waited too long. We need to have something to worship here. And so Aaron said, well, bring all your gold to me. And they fashioned it into a calf. Aaron knew that he couldn't let the people, obviously, they rebel and, and, and do what they wanted because he was trying to control the crowd there. So he came up with a plan. He still wanted the people to worship God, but the people weren't willing to follow a God that they had to accept by faith or a God that made requirements on them in their everyday lives. And so the solution that Aaron came up with was this. He would reshape God into something that was a little bit more palatable to the people. He would fit God to more of what they were looking for in God. And the first step would be to give them an image of God that they could see. They would bring God down to their own level and fit him into their own experience. And the next step was to figure out what image he was going to use to represent God. And that, and that was a calf there. He, and you know, a calf is a servant. Gives milk, possibly meat, if it's killed and slaughtered. A calf makes no requirements. The only thing that you have to do with a calf is to provide a field for it to graze in. And they pretty much take care of themselves. And so when you think about this, why they use a calf? It's because it made no requirements on them. It was like, uh, we, we feel a little bit better here with that, uh, with the calf and all that. Can, can you begin to understand why the Israelites wanted a calf to represent their God? It sounds pretty good here. And obviously they felt, well, we're still worshiping the true God and, and so forth and, and all. But yet, this looks a little bit better. And what did Aaron do when he was shaping the calf? He took and maybe chiseled off a little bit of the ear or maybe chiseled off of the back or the, or the side of the face or whatever it may be. Kind of made it exactly the way he wanted to make it to represent something that was palatable to people at that time who were getting ready, obviously they were in rebellion, who were getting ready to go in rebellion. And he said, oh, I finally got it exactly the way that I want it to be done here. He had reshaped the calf into the image that they wanted here. Now, I've been talking about a lot here about an academic exercise and what someone else did and why they did it and what the results were in their lives. But here in the United States, in Houston, Texas, Obviously, we don't make golden calves necessarily, or little statues. So what does this command have to do with me? You remember what the definition I said of an idol is? It is actually a physical or mental representation 
there. And when you think of God, what is the image that comes to your mind? Santa Claus? Grandfather? An absent father? A mean tyrant? Or maybe a calf? If you think of God in any of these ways, then you've been doing the same thing that Aaron did. You've been chipping away at God until you've whittled him down into something that looks good to you. Something that you can handle. You pick and choose which characteristics of God you like. Well, you pick love and you go, oh, I like love. I like that. And then you look and say, well, God is just. Oh, I don't like his justice. Oh, no, I I don't like that. And then so you go through a spiritual buffet line. And you pick out what you want. And you pick and choose. And what you've done is you've made a golden calf in your heart. You've made God into your own image here. But let me tell you today, if you don't accept God the way he is, exactly, then probably you'll not accept him at all. Because I want a God that's big enough to take care of me and take care of every problem that I have. And my biggest problem is sin, and so is yours. I want a God that can take care of me, wants to be a part of my life. And obviously, the more I know him and how great he is and how awesome he is, obviously, the more I love him. And the more excited I am about having a relationship with him. How are you supposed to get an accurate picture of God? Is there anything that God has given us to enable us to be able to do that? Yes, Jesus. And remember there in the scriptures, they were asking him, they said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is there. He came to show us who the Father is. He came to to show us and what Jesus does and how he treated people. And all, But remember what the religious people said? The, they called him a friend of sinners and tax collectors. They called him a glutton and a drunk. Only those who had an accurate picture of God before they saw Jesus or those who were willing to change their conception of God when they met Jesus were able to accept him as their Savior and as God himself. Think about that again. Only those who had an open heart to God Almighty and how big He is and all things are possible with God are able to f- receive God for who He is. The religious leaders rejected Him. And Jesus went around performing miracles. He touched people. They, uh, people didn't, had never experienced the love and compassion like that with anyone before. And, all, and still they were thinking that He had came, come to deliver them from the Roman uh, government. And yet he was coming to set them free from their sins and set them up in a kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God there. It is possible to worship false gods, obviously, but it's also possible, listen to this, to worship the true God falsely here. It's not enough that we attempt to worship God. We've got to worship him in his way. The book of Leviticus is actually a a worship manual for the Jewish people. God laid out exactly how they were to worship Him. And God wanted them to worship Him, but they had to do it His way. They couldn't just throw their own system together and expect God to be pleased with it. Do you remember what happened there when Cain brought his offering to God? The Bible obviously records that God was not pleased with his offering. What was wrong with it? Cain wanted to worship God, but obviously couldn't he worship God any way he wanted to? No. He had to come to God on God's terms even when it came to, to worship there. You know, it's kind of like when I buy a gift for Cindy. I go into Home Depot. 
Y'all know immediately I'm on the wrong track, don't you? And, and I walk in and I, I get some tools over here. I love tools. I don't, I don't use them like I should. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a mechanic. I'm not any of those types. You know, Brian is. Brian knows and Brian can teach me. But I'm not. But I love tools. I love tools. I have tools. Just in case. And I'd come into her, you know, birthday, her birthday and all and so forth. And I'd wrap it up and, and, and give it to her. And she'd open it up and be a thing of tools. Do you think that obviously she'd like that? No, she's not going to like that at all. But if I got her something that she liked, something or maybe some nice clothes and, or whatever it may be, perfume or, or flowers or something like that, it's because what I was doing is because that's what she wants. God's the same way. We come to him and we have to worship him on his terms. How many of us try to worship God on our own terms in our own way. And obviously we may say God so long as you fit within the confines of my understanding of you. I'll worship and serve you. As long as you don't make any requirements of me that are too demanding. And as long as you behave in a predictable manner. We'll be on good terms with each other. But as soon as you do something that doesn't fit into my preconceived notions of you. I'm out of here. Okay. You get the point? Revival is messy. Because when God begins to touch us, you may have had preconceived ideas that you never thought God would do it this way. I've had so many people say, I don't understand this. I don't understand when God begins to come and touch us and change our hearts and his power is evident. Well, let me tell you today, God is way bigger than our understanding. And the question is, are you and I, when this revival, when this awakening takes place, going to be molded in God's hands and do it God's way? Are we going to say, no, I don't understand this, therefore I'm out of here. God is looking for people that can be molded. And people who will accept him for who he is. Because he'll deal with you and me individually, personally. And you'll come back and tell somebody your testimony. And it's great. And we'll applaud. And we'll thank God. And, and we'll praise him and so forth. But then, and then later on we, we'll go, I don't fully understand what he did in that person's life. But, but, but it's God. You see, our God is bigger than your conception of him. And my conception of him. When I was in Ecuador, God was doing things that I didn't understand. They were all biblical, and it was I tested the spirits. But I didn't understand, and neither did the pastor. And we talked. And he said, I don't understand this. I don't understand it. I don't either. But I have to somehow accept the fact that God is far bigger than my understanding. God will stretch you and me. And what he's doing in the earth today. When the spirit of the Lord comes in revival, it would be messy. Some people will say, oh, you've, you've got completely destroyed my image of you. And I'm out of here. Don't do that. Because you'll miss God. God's bigger than what we are. His spirit's here right now. He's right here right now.
Some people say, well, God, I might be willing to worship you on Sunday morning from 10.30 to 12. But don't expect anything beyond that. You are a 10.30 to 12 God, aren't you? What if God came and he just came in and touched us? Would we all be saying, God, I'll give you till 12, but after that I'm gone? Would you? Or would you say, Lord, the old hymn, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You see, today, God is putting that before you and before me. Because when we don't do that, what we've done is we've already carved out a golden calf, an image of God. Because we want to worship God our own way. And we don't want to do it the way he wants to do it. The second point is, idols will take God's place as the object that is worshipped. God knew that images there that man made to point him to God would eventually steal the worship there. You remember there, the, uh, the people were, were in a rebellion and God sent the snakes amongst them to punish them. But he also sent a way for them to find healing. Remember what he told Moses? To construct a bronze snake and hang it on a pole in the center of the camp. And whoever looked up to that bronze snake, actually they were healed. Well, that was symbolic of Jesus there, looking up to Jesus. And they were healed there. It wasn't the snake that saved them. It was placing their faith in God's way as evidenced by their looking up that saved them there. And you remember what happened there, that before long they began to worship that bronze snake up there. They forgot all about God. You remember? You know the story. You know what happens with tradition? Oh, this is going to speak to me. You know what happens to tradition? Whether it's the French church, whether it's the Baptist church, whether it's the Presbyterian church, the Episcopal church, it doesn't make Catholic, doesn't make any difference. You know what happens there? Is what we do is we begin to worship tradition. When we put our faith in anything else except for God Almighty and worship the way He wants to worship, then we've got a golden calf. And we're worshiping that. And it can be tradition. It can be a lot of different things. Some people say this. I mean, the Bible says it, obviously. Everything's got to be done decently and in order. Whose order? God's order. You know what a lot of people take that to mean? Is when you come to church, you've got to sit on your hands. And you've got to be still. And you be quiet. And don't you clap your hands. Don't you sing out loud. Don't you raise your hands. Because it's got to be decently and in order. We've turned this thing around. And what we've done, we begin to worship traditions. And we've misinterpreted what God is saying. We need to allow God to be who he wants to be. And when that happens, revival may be messy. And some people will turn away. Some churches today, do you know the biggest, obviously, opponent, opponent, O-P-P, 
of revivals in the past was the traditional church. They said, we've never seen God do this before, so it must not be God. I'm not saying don't test the spirits. But I'm saying that we better be careful and throwing the baby out with the bathwater because God may do something that we're not sure understanding. And when you pray about it and you put it before the Lord, God says, that's me. But I'm not doing exactly. I'm not fitting into the box that we've had all of our lives and tradition in the church. And why is the church lukewarm today? It's because the church is not worshiping the true God. They're worshiping an image of God. We often criticize other groups for practicing idolatry in their churches. Could it possibly be here as evangelical friends there? Could we be prone to practicing an idolatry? Could it be that we've allowed some of the objects of our faith to take the place of God that those objects are supposed to point to? People, church, even the Bible. The Bible is the Word of God, and we need to love the Word of God. But it's not God. The Bible points us to God. It gives us direction to God. Idolatry is about trying to worship God in my own way. Obviously, we can build that image very, very quickly. And we can put it in the place of God. We had some issues when I planted a church years ago. And a lady came up to me and said, this is my church. And I went, uh, with all respect, ma'am, this is Jesus' church. That's what happens, see. Because we've placed an image of God Almighty above God himself. The third thing. Idols will destroy your children's view of God. We see it in there. Solomon had a high view of God because David had a high view of God. But later, in Solomon's life, he began to worship idols and developed a lower view of God. And his son Jeroboam had a low view of God. Timothy, Paul's apprentice, we know, he had a high view of God because his mother Lois and his grandmother Eunice had a high view of God. We pass that down. How are your children looking at you today? What type of view do you have of God? Are you willing to let God do whatever he wants to do, even if you don't understand it? Are you willing to allow revival to come into the church again and change us? But, and, and, and say, Lord, I, I strip away our traditions just for tradition's sake. Are you willing to yield to God? Are you willing to worship him on his terms? Back a few years ago, there was a Taco Bell ad on TV. And you remember the Chihuahua there? The Taco Bell, you remember that, Michelle? The little Chihuahua, yeah. The Godzilla, Godzilla movie had just come out. And the Chihuahua had just set up a little primitive trap to try and get a handle on Godzilla. It was just a box with a twig popped underneath, propped underneath so that when uh, Godzilla supposedly stepped under the box, it would capture Godzilla. It was just big enough for really a small animal the same size as the Chihuahua, the Taco Bell Chihuahua there. 
And when Godzilla was far away, here he was, you know, the little chihuahua was going, here, kitty, 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 kitty. When Godzilla was far away, he looked small enough to handle. But as Godzilla got closer, you could hear his footsteps pounding on the pavement. You knew that Godzilla was much bigger than he had anticipated. And the dog's eyes got wider and wider. And finally, when Godzilla stopped, the dog took his eyes off of Godzilla, turned his face to the camera and said, I'm going to need a bigger box. (laughs) And we see God for who he is. He's much bigger. I want to tell you today is God's going to do things in this revival that's coming. That's going to challenge you and it's going to challenge me. And I'm going to come to the place of saying, Lord, I do not understand this, but I know it's you. And please don't withdraw your presence because we need you desperately to come and again work in the church and set our hearts on fire. That's why I'm that prayer warrior, that intercessor, texted me that morning and said, Jim, the Lord just spoke to me and said, revival is messy. Some will not desire revival, and some will say, I don't understand them because my intellect can't grasp it. Well, let me tell you today, get over it. Get over it like I'm getting over it. Because he's going to stretch us. He's bigger than what we've ever thought, just like this Chihuahua. (laughs) He's more powerful. He's more awesome. As evangelical friends, we go back to, and I'm going to say this straight open tonight, back to the faith and practice. And the faith and practice gives us guidelines of what we believe as we've looked at the the French church, evangelical French church, down through the centuries. But I want to tell you today, don't look to the faith and practice to what God's going to do in this day and this time. He's much bigger than the faith and practice. He's much bigger than anything you've ever, any, any person, he's much bigger and much greater and stronger and more awesome today. And when he comes and he changes your life and when you have something because God is a God that will touch you and he'll change your heart. And the question is, do we want God the way God is? Or do we want him the way we want him. I want to ask a few questions here as we close to help us examine our own image of God. Do you need to see things in order to believe them? Think about it. You need to see things in order to believe them? What's the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of what? Things not seen. Does God need to fit inside your box of understanding before you fit him into your life? Does God have to fit in your box before you allow you to do? Because he's going to do things, I'm telling you. He's doing it. Be ready for it. Know when it happens. Don't be afraid. Our God 
loves us beyond anything. That's why he sent Jesus. How do you react when God does something in your life or in your world that doesn't fit into your picture of God? Do you allow God to redraw the picture? Or do you rebel against him when he does something that you don't understand? Are you willing to redraw your life to fit God's standards? Or are you attempting to chisel away at him until you get a God who fits into your lifestyle and doesn't require you to change? If I ask your children or friends to tell me what kind of God you served on a daily basis, what would they see in your life and what would they draw? How big of a God do you really want to serve? How big of a God do you want your kids and others, neighbors and friends to serve? How big a God? What happened when I was in Ecuador was nothing less than powerful. The question was asked to me, too, also. Why do you think it happened in Ecuador and we're not seeing it completely here? Oh, we are. We're seeing it. But why is that? Well, number one, I believe this. Number one, is people in a country like that where it's very poor, they're fighting just to try to make a living and to be able to have a small apartment of where to live. Cars are not new, and they're not big. We've got huge SUVs, 65,000 to 100,000. They don't drive those there. Very few people drive those. They've got small cars. Most of the people, about 70% of the people, drive the public transit. And when they, they do, when they... When they travel, it's approximately, for a good little distance, 70 cents one way. And when you look on those buses, they're one after the other. People, and they're packed on these buses. People get on those buses, and they go to work because they're trying to make a living. It's because in some ways, we don't think we need God. We got so much. And when you look at their lives, they're, they're hungry for, for the word of God. They're hungry for the presence of the Lord. And let me tell you today, they don't care how God does it. They're just saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. And they're reaching out to him with their hearts on a 24-7 basis. And I saw that every day I was there. They're crying out to God. Where we come in and say, well, you know, uh, we want to keep this thing tidy around here now. Uh, we don't want to do anything too extravagant. Hold, hold on, Jim. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? What are you saying? Are we just saying, what am I saying today? Let me make it real plain. We've got to lose control so that God will take control. People dying that I saw for years... When they were dying, right up to the moment they died, they felt that they had control over this life and they would control everything and everybody they possibly could today. And yet they were getting ready to go out into eternity and they couldn't control that. And they were going bonkers at the end of their lives. You know what I mean? 
because we think we have control. And the sooner we say, Lord, I don't have control here, you step in and take control. That's when the power of God will come into your life. Because he says, I will have no more idols. And we've made this issue and so many other issues into the image of God and we're worshiping it. The seven famous last words of the church was, we've never done it that way before. We've never done it that way before. Well, do you want God? Or do you want things the way they have been in your tradition and so forth? Or do you want to worship Him His way and His alone? I believe as Jesus draws near and His power and His glory is displayed, be careful, I want to warn you, of attributing it to the devil. That's what the churches have done in the past. That's what the religious leaders did. They said he was the devil, didn't they? Why? Because he was setting people free. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead. And they rejected him and hung him on a tree. Said he was of the devil. Churches in the past, as this awakening's taking place, have said, we don't want any of this because we can't understand it and God's not fitting in our traditional church-like box. And God is saying today, do you want revival or do you want an awakening today? You take me as I am. Even if you don't understand it. God is looking for people with hungry hearts. And you know how you get that? You ask him. You tell him. And you commit, and I commit to God that I will take God just like he is, like he is, all of him, and I'm not going to make another image trying to fit him into my lifestyle or maybe where I'm comfortable or maybe I can kind of grasp my mind and wrap around this thing is coming. Let me tell you, I've got choices and so do you. As a church, we have a choice. Because revival's coming. It's the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. It's not getting a better government. I pray for the governor. I pray for this election. Y'all know that. But the new candidates are not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Amen? Amen. Jesus and him alone. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And either we want Jesus the way he is, the Spirit of the Lord coming, and we can't wrap our minds around it and understand it. It's beyond us. It's more too powerful, too awesome. Oh, we don't. We make it a choice. I've made a choice. How about you? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day you've given us. We thank you for your truth, your word. Lord, we are saying to, today that we'll just take you the way you are. We're not going to understand God. You're too big. Your ways are not our ways and your thoughts are not our thoughts. Lord, please come and awaken our hearts. Touch us. Send revival. Send an awakening. Send your spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We open our hearts to you. Come back. Touch us in the church again. We ask for your presence. 
we pray our hearts will be prepared to receive. And we love what you're doing, Lord. Don't stop. We bless that. And thank you for it. Change us. Make us more like Jesus, dear Lord. The Bible says that all we who have with unveiled faces are changed from glory to glory. We're changed from glory to glory as we encounter the Lord. Lord, please let everybody here encounter you. I'm asking that today. Every person here have an encounter with your spirit. We open our hearts to you this day. Dear Lord, we ask you to come in and touch us, change us, make us more like Jesus. Forgive us when we've tried to build an image of you. Maybe it's because of our background. Maybe it's because maybe whatever it may be, dear God, just maybe fear. Or maybe we're not comfortable with it. Forgive us, oh God. And help us to run quickly into the loving arms of our Savior. His name is Jesus. And it's in His precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.